If you wanted to really get a sense for someone's kind of deepest longings, someone's deepest desires, what they really kind of feel and think, you know what you should do or what I would do? I'd get a copy of a transcript of their prayers, right? Especially... um, those prayers where it's kind of, they're in a deep kind of longing, talking to the Father. Maybe the night before something, you know, really terrible was about to, maybe you're at a hospital with your child or the night before a massive operation that could go wrong. Like there are those prayers, a transcript of those prayers, I reckon, is where you'd really get a glimpse of what someone really longs for, what someone really desires. And imagine we could get a copy of a transcript of one of Jesus' prayers like that. Well, we don't need to imagine. Because this is exactly what we have in chapter 17 of John. We're given this transcript. We can listen in, get a window, a glimpse into some of Jesus' deepest longings and desires. It's just him talking to his father, God, the night before his death, his crucifixion. And we get a window into well, what was most on his heart. What is he really longing? What is he really desiring? And we get it kind of summed up here in this last part of this prayer, John chapter 17. He's praying for believers, all believers, not just the 12 that are with him in that moment, all Christians throughout all time, throughout the history of the church, that we would be one. Unity. Christian unity. Now, maybe your mind goes in all sorts of directions of what that means, what that looks like, what that doesn't look like. And that's what we're going to try and unpack just a little bit this morning, this unity that Jesus prays for. And we're going to try and do it simply with these three, I hope this works, these three um, steps, these three simple ways, points that Jesus, two points, see, I made it even shorter for you, two points. Um, that Jesus is going to unpack what he means, what he doesn't mean by this Christian unity, this unity that he prays for all believers. I reckon we get right into the first one. We're going to look at the basis for our unity. It's not some kind of general, generic, wishy-washy, everyone, let's just live in peace and harmony. You know, all the religions and faiths of the world, we all, we all lead to God anyway. Let's just all get... It's, it's specific, and it's, it's based on something very specific. Notice what he says there right at the very beginning. You might miss it. You might miss this very point if we don't kind of... Oh, it's not even working today. There we go. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only. Who are the these? The, the 12 that are with him in that moment. But also for those who will believe in me through... Their word. Who's the there that he's talking about? Where that, those there are those original 12 who were with him in that moment, the original, also known as the apostles. That's the there that he's talking about. See, Jesus, he's about to leave them. His departure from them, he's about to die and rise again and go back to heaven. That's just around the corner. And it's almost as if, like, I don't want to exaggerate or, or, or say something that it's not saying, but it's almost like the apostles now get a promotion. Jesus kind of now elevates them and their word as the way, the only way that someone, once Jesus has left, 
the only way that someone can now come to truly believe and know Christ. But here's the thing. We, we need to be careful because in what we're saying, it's not like they're bringing any new word or adding their own words, their task, with simply passing on and handing down the word that they had received directly from Jesus. And it's that word, the gospel, the good news of Jesus that is the basis for our unity. The gospel is what unites us. And why is this important? Why is this important? Well, especially because of the context that they lived in. This would mean that when it came to religion, unity was no longer around race. Unity was no longer around culture or gender or social classes. That wasn't what would unite them anymore. And this was actually something quite revolutionary for the time. See, the early church got off the ground, perhaps so quickly, so effectively, in large part, because of the quality of the unity around this, this all-inclusive gospel that was now being spread. The world looked at it, and it was amazed. And one of the things it was amazed by was the fact that Christianity, for example, was the first of these multi-ethnic religions. Up until this point, religions were pretty much divided and segregated by ethnicity. This ethnicity had their religions. This ethnicity lived in this part of the world, a region. They had their gods and their religions. But now Christians come along and believe that Jesus is the saviour of the whole world. And so they invited all ethnic groups and social classes to believe in Jesus. And this brought people together in a way that the world had never seen before. What was so attractive was that really for the first time, man, you had this kind of melting pot of, and I love this because I describe this as it's like I'm describing our own church here. This melting pot of skin colors and cultures and languages and genders, now male and female, and, and social classes and occupations, the rich, the poor, the free, the slaves, all coming together despite these differences and seeing each other and loving each other as equal, as completely equal. And that's what the gospel does. That's what the gospel does. It brings about this kind of... Of unity, And it's this kind of unity, the same unity Jesus prays for, and this, that what he's wanting to be so attractive about our church today as well. Hasn't changed. This supernatural community where, just look around, where we can be so different from each other, and yet so together, so united, working together for a common purpose. Our unity, the basis for our unity, the gospel message passed down, handed down to us from the apostles and kind of elaborated on in the whole New Testament. That's the basis for our unity. But now get this. Notice what else we see in this passage. That our unity is also, you may miss this if you're not kind of paying attention, it's rooted in the Trinity. Our unity is rooted in the Trinity. Notice these verses there in that passage. Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one. 
Jesus is praying that we would enjoy the same kind of unity that already exists in the Trinity. It's already there. It's already exists. It's not some, something, this unity we need to try to magically create out of nothing somehow. And it seems like he's saying that now, since he's now in us, well, then he just expects that same kind of unity that already exists would flow out from us, be shared. That the unity amongst us believers would be just an extension of that unity that the Father, Son, and Spirit already enjoy. And now, hey, let's just, let's just share that. It's almost like that imagery, the imagery of the vine imagery of chapter 15 all over again. We are the branches connected to the vine. And as branches connected to the vine, we draw our lifeblood, our life source directly from the vine. We share, therefore, this is amazing. As branches, we share in the the same DNA, the same spiritual DNA as that vine. Which means this kind of unity, it's not something we just need to create out of nothing. It's in our spiritual DNA already. This is a flawed illustration, but the best illustration that I could kind of think of of how this might be possible in the church today is to think about Peter Parker, Spider-Man. It's kind of like when that spider bit Peter Parker, that spider's DNA was now in him, right? And he immediately began to take on the qualities of that spider. And in the same way, when we are bitten by the Holy Spirit, sealed by the Holy Spirit, when we are in Christ and we accept him and trust in him, we immediately begin to take on those same qualities of Christ. So that when it comes to sharing that love and in that unity with other believers, well, since it already exists in our spiritual DNA, it doesn't need to be created. It doesn't need to be forced. It's already there. It's just it now needs to be exercised. It needs to be used, right? It's like our muscles. We all have muscles. They're all there. But if we don't use them, you won't be strong. Let's try and think about just this first point practically for a moment. Let's get real practical. Because we kind of talked about what this unity is. Let's think about what it isn't for a moment. The kind of unity that Jesus prays for and envisions isn't uniformity. That we all look the same and we all act the same. Right? Like with somewhere like the army, for example, you kind of show up, get the same haircut, you all wear the same clothes, you all behave the same in order to achieve the same goal and purpose. That's what uniformity looks like. That's not what Jesus has in mind when it comes to the church. That we all need to look. I mean, imagine, imagine if a whole church, this whole church was to look and act and think like and behave just like me. Imagine that. I would love that church. Seriously, sign me up to that church. I mean, I, I, that sounds, I can't think of a church that would be better than that one. But some of you would be horrified by the idea. And rightly so. Because that's what a cult looks like. Right? That's what cults are. There's a documentary um, on Netflix at the moment. which is, it's, it's been quite insightful. It's called Wild Wild Country. I don't know if anyone's seen that. Really well made, really helpful in understanding the mentality of what makes a cult and why they thrive and and exist and kind of flourish. Everyone looks the same, acts the same, sounds the same, and it's kind of frightening. 
And it's not what Jesus ever intended. He doesn't want us to get rid of our differences. Instead, he envisions that we can rise above those differences and even use those differences in order to advance the gospel. Perhaps the image or the metaphor we find in the Bible that best describes what we're talking about here is the body, the body of Christ. You might go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It talks about the church as a body. A body is made up of different members. Some are hands, some are feet, some might be the eyes, maybe some are more public in their presence, they're the mouth. And yet we're united to the same body, working together to function as a healthy body. And you know what this means? If this is true, if we're all different members needing to work together to serve the body so it can function healthily, you know what this means? Firstly, that every member... Every one of you is crucial to the health of that body. Every one of you with your giftings and your differences, crucial to the health of this body. And you know what we need then? We need you to find out what part of the body you are and get on board with fulfilling your function within the body. Otherwise, this particular body will be weak, won't be healthy without you playing your part. Secondly, being united to the body. I mean, I don't think about a hand or a foot that isn't connected to a body. Being connected and united to that body is crucial for your survival. The branch that isn't connected to the vine will wither and die. You will meet Christians who will tell you they don't need to be part of a church. Surely, there are some cases where... God might grant the grace to someone to be able to exist and thrive without being part of a local church. But what comes to mind is some kind of extreme, radical cases like maybe a Christian being persecuted, thrown in jail because of their faith. Maybe a situation like that. But otherwise, man, you just need to do a simple reading of the New Testament. And you will see that God always envisions that our spiritual health... Our spiritual survival is dependent on our being united to Christ. And how does that play out practically? How are we united to Christ practically? Well, being united to his body, the local church. It's crucial. And thirdly, we've been talking about our differences within the church, little C church, right? This local church. How about our differences within the capital C church, the wider church, and all the other denominations that exist out there? Same thing. I really don't think Jesus is asking us to give up these differences. Instead, he envisions that true gospel unity will transcend them, will rise above these differences. You know, there are hundreds, maybe thousands of different Christian denominations that exist today. And you know what? The world finds this kind of puzzling, maybe rightly so. It's a frequent question I get from many skeptics that I talk to. Why are there so many denominations, different kinds of churches? Which is the right one? Is there a right one? Doesn't this speak of our disunity more than it does of our unity? But the reality is, churches are made up of people who are gifted differently and who worship differently. And so I kind of view all of these various denominations, kind of like how I view my kids. I have two kids, and if you know them, you'd know that they're very different to each other. 
different personalities, different ways that they relate to me, different ways that I relate to them. And so I see these various expressions of church in that same way, having different personalities, different ways of relating to God, different ways that God chooses to relate to them. For example, here at this church, we relate to God, let's be honest, in a more conservative way. We just do. But at the local Pentecostal church down the road, they worship God, relate to him in perhaps a more expressive manner. It's not that one is right, the other one isn't, because at both churches, God is worshipped, Jesus is made much of. And so therefore, we don't need to get rid of these differences. Instead, we are to be united around the gospel because we all share in the same spiritual DNA. A kind of beauty that says, brother, even though we worship a little differently, I will work with you, I will partner with you for the sake of the gospel. Whether it's within the church, lower C, or the wider church, capital C, other denominations, we need to be honest and understand that just because we do share the same spiritual DNA, this unity won't always come easily. We need to acknowledge that, understand that. We've seen this throughout history. It's like Jesus knew that kind of this is what we're going to be like, and which is why he prays for it very intentionally. It's almost like he knew just how much we would struggle with sin and pride and selfishness. And this was true of the earliest Christians as well. We're in good company if we struggle with this at times. The very first Christians. We're not talking, I'll give you one example that's there in Corinthians. We're not talking decades or centuries for splits and divisions to arise. We're talking years just years after the very first church was established. Let me show you just this one example. The Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. My brothers, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or Peter, the Apostle Peter, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? It's, it's difficult to kind of do an immediate translation of what that problem might look like in the church today. But what seems to be happening is that you've got Christians within the churches kind of saying, hey, I'm going to follow this big gun of Christianity of that day. Like, for example, someone today is saying, hey, you know what, I'm an Anglican, so I'm going to follow Glenn Davies, the Archbishop of the Sydney Diocese. Or someone saying, no, no, look, I'm, I'm charismatic, so, so I'm going to follow Brian Houston from Hillsong. Or maybe the really holy ones, right? Like those who belong to the Christian community churches of Australia. Who say, no, 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 I don't follow any of those men because I follow Christ. And fast forward throughout the centuries, and this is how all those denominations started to come about. And even though I don't think these differences, these denominations are a bad thing, the reality is when we look at through history and how many of these started... It usually wasn't pretty. 
Oftentimes, it was, it was ugly. It was results of divisions and splits. It wasn't really an attitude of, of gospel unity. And sadly, all the while, the world looking on, the world watching. And yeah, when the world sees our disunity, it doesn't make us look that attractive, does it? It doesn't. Which leads to our last and final point. So that's the basis for our unity. Well, well what are the effects of our unity that Jesus really was praying and, and envisioned uh, our unity, would, the impact it could have in this world? Verse 23. I in them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you loved me. The effects are twofold. There's more. There's at least two that Jesus mentions. That the world would believe the gospel. That's the first effect that he's wanting, the impact in this world, that they would believe the gospel, that they may know that you sent me. But also that the world would believe that they are loved by God, that they may know that you love them even as you loved me. Man, we could, this is a whole nother sermon just in itself. Like maybe you're not really imagining or picturing or understanding what he's saying there, that God and his love is available to those in the world in the same way that he loves his own son. Think of all the ways that we see throughout Scripture that God shows his love for his own son. My son in whom I am well pleased. And this is the kind of love that he wants the world to receive through us when they see our unity. Can you see that there's quite a bit at stake here with our unity? And how effectively we show that unity to a watching world, there's, there's a lot at stake. I don't know if you've heard of Blaise Pascal. He was a French mathematician, a physicist who lived in the 17th century. And he had a radical conversion to Christ. After that, devoted much of his, his uh, time, his thought, his writing to Christianity and to philosophy. And one of the things he thought about a lot was, well, how do we present the Christian message to those who do not believe it? And here's one of his more famous quotes. He tries to give us a way forward. He wrote. He did write something. I'm, I'm sure of it. Okay. He wrote, men despise religion. They hate it and are afraid that it may be true. The cure for this is first to show that religion is not contrary to reason, but worthy of reverence and respect. Next, make it attractive. Make good men wish it were true and then show that it is. Make people wish that the gospel were true and then show them that it is. Because here's the thing. Here's the reality of our world. We have enough people rooting against us already. Enough people in the world wishing and hoping that it's not true. 
Enough people who get excited when there's a scandal in the church or when they come across a Christian who is mean-spirited or when they come across a Christian who is closed-minded or a church that is judgmental and not welcoming because all of that just serves to confirm their unbelief. But show them a group of Christians that are proactive, proactive, open-minded, kind, gentle, generous, Man, well, that can be disarming, can't it? That can be surprising and at very least worthy of respect, very least worthy of some investigation. Who knows? Maybe even believe it themselves. Just one example from the Bible of how this can look like in the real world, and we'll start bringing this to a close. It's from Acts chapter 2, and it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This common unity in the gospel which led to sharing all things in common. Imagine this, imagine how powerful this could be even within our community. If we truly knew who in our church was was really going through some kind of need and then stepping in to fulfill that need. Maybe it is a financial need, maybe it's another kind of need. There is a family who we now consider part of our church because they're connected to our kids' ministry on a Friday. We see them every week on a Wednesday. And she's a single mum with six kids. So that's a real need there, particularly with her boys. You know, it was her oldest son's birthday recently. And you know what someone in our church did? Found out who his favourite football team is even though it's the Broncos, but we we can move on from that. And then this person went to Rebel Sport, got him a Broncos cap for his birthday, surprised everyone. It's the kind of thing you do for family. But this kind of love, it can't be manufactured. It's born out of someone who believes that the gospel is true and wants to show that it's true. Not only to this boy, but to this boy's mum as well. How's that for disarming? Right? How's that for surprising? Secondly, you know what else this unity looked like for the first Christians based on this passage? Christians would meet together often. Let's not miss this part of what was happening in the early church. They would meet together often. It's like they couldn't help but be together. Go to the temple together. Go to church. Go to Bible studies together. Be in each other's homes to eat and to share with glad and generous hearts. Right? But today in our church, I've said it before, I'm gonna, I'll say it again, we struggle with meeting together outside of a Sunday morning, don't we? Most of us... I say most because there are groups within the church here and there who do do this, but most in the church aren't meeting up during the week for prayer or Bible study or even if it's just for meals. 
I'll be honest, many people use work and kids as an excuse for this, but it, it, it really doesn't seem like the early church was using that as an excuse. And what was the result of this love and unity? Conversions. Conversions the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. The question to end with simply is this. What's your part? Think specifically now. What's your part going to be in making the world wish that the gospel is true? And then showing them that it is. What's your part going to be? What will your part be in ensuring that Alawa Church, this church, is a community of unity and fellowship and generosity? What's your part going to be? Obviously, we can't change the whole church overnight. We know that. But you, in your own life, can begin to be an answer to what Jesus prayed for in that, that night before he left. Maybe you do need to join a smaller group during the week. Maybe you do. Get out of your comfort zone a little. Let go of some of these excuses. Because it's in these smaller groups where the reality of Christian unity is kind of there for the taking. It's there to be witnessed and experienced. It may mean you doing your part. It may mean getting involved in one of our ministries in more a proactive and present way, like our Mainly Music ministry, like our Alloa Kids and Youth on a Friday, like our Alloa Care on a Wednesday. Because these are the places where, as a church, we are most interacting with those who are in the world, those who are searching, asking questions, those needing to be disarmed and surprised by the kind of love that we experience and that we need to be showing them. This week, this week, make it your goal to make people wish the gospel was true and then show them that it is.